Well, I wonder if you've ever had that feeling. Uh, the feeling of being incompetent. I think we all feel it at times, don't we? Um, perhaps for you it's when your car gets a flat tyre and you have absolutely no idea what to do. Or when you have to make a, a speech in front of people. Or uh, when it comes to time to fill in your tax return. Uh, personally, there are a myriad of situations where I feel incompetent. Uh, topping the list would have to include being dragged onto a dance floor at a wedding. <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> Trying to remember everyone's names here at church. <laughs> Praise the Lord for name tags. <laughs> and increasingly, I feel it when my high schooler asks that, fate, that fateful question, Dad, will you help me with my maths homework? But I think there's one area in which many of us Christians feel incompetent, and that's evangelism. When it comes to sharing our faith, we're, we're, we're often, often plagued with thoughts like, well, what if I say the wrong thing? What, what if I don't have all the answers? What if I don't say enough? What if I, I come on too strong and turn them off? And those feelings can cause us to, to shrink back and keep our faith to ourselves. In the, in the office tea room, uh, at our family gatherings, over the fence with our neighbours, uh, in the schoolyard, uh, with the mums group. In those situations, we'll confidently talk about anything and everything but our faith. Well, if you ever feel incompetent when it comes to sharing the gospel, then I think today's passage from 2 Corinthians might be just what you need to hear. If you don't already have a Bible open in front of you at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, let me encourage you to turn with me there now. It's page 1794 of the Church Bibles. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And as you're looking that up, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, for some time now, Paul has been dealing with problems in the fledgling church of Corinth, uh, in particular issues of immorality and, and division. But now he's been made aware of a new problem. A certain false teachers have infiltrated the church and are teaching a false gospel. They're telling the Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians, that if you want to get to heaven, then you, you can't just rely on the grace of Jesus. You have to obey the Old Testament laws. And to win over the Corinthians, these false teachers are doing everything they can to discredit Paul. And as we read through the rest of 2 Corinthians, uh, it's not hard to piece together the sort of things they're saying about him. Face it, guys, that Paul is so unimpressive. I mean, he even admits that he's afflicted, perplexed, persecuted and struck down. Does that sound like someone God's behind? And sure, he talks tough in his letters, but face to face, he's timid as a mouse. And he's certainly no orator, not to mention he's unreliable. I mean, didn't he mention that he was going to come back and visit you guys and didn't? So flaky, so pathetic. And that's no doubt why he's turned up here without any letters of recommendation, because he's got no one but himself to back his ministry, unlike us. 
We're, we're, we're the finest orators this side of the Aegean Sea. We're a successful, well-oiled production. Very slick. And if you don't believe us, then just read all these letters of recommendation we've brought along. Written by some of our biggest fans. So forget about that incompetent Paul and listen to us instead. Do you see what they're doing? They're claiming that they're the ones competent to speak to the Corinthians on behalf of God, not Paul. And from all outward appearances, they seem to be onto something. In many ways, they are more impressive than Paul. Silver-tongued and self-assured. No doubt that's why in other parts of his letter, Paul refers to these false teachers as the super-apostles. Though I suspect he's being a tad facetious. Well, in today's passage, we get to see the beginnings of Paul's response to these allegations of incompetence. And so what do you think he says? Well, naturally, he begins by wowing the Corinthians with the details of his recent ultra-successful evangelistic exploits in the city of Troas. He tells them of how thousands of people were drawn to his charismatic preaching style. Actually, that's not quite true. In reality, he tells them of how during his time in Troas, he was a complete mess. He tells of how even though people there were quite open to hearing the gospel, he just couldn't stay in the city on account of his uh, inner turmoil, on, on account of the anxiety he felt at not finding his co-worker Titus there. Now, why would Titus's absence upset Paul so much? Well, perhaps you remember from last week that prior to this letter, Paul had sent another to the Corinthians, a rather sharp letter, in which he lovingly but sternly rebuked them for certain things that had happened. It, it was a letter that Paul had Titus hand deliver to them. And until Paul could hear back from Titus how his letter had been received, well, he just couldn't rest easy. Did they heed him or, or, or hate him? He, he just was just so anxious to know. And so in his angst, Paul moved on from Troas to go looking for Titus in Macedonia. You see, it's, it's hardly a picture of a suave, unflappable man, is it? But it is a picture of a man who deeply loves these Corinthians. Here, read with me from chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them. And went on to Macedonia. So Paul concedes. Paul concedes that the false teachers are right on one point. He's weak and unimpressive. But the thing is, Paul doesn't care. Because he knows that ultimately, Jesus is the one in charge of his life. And Jesus is anything but weak and unimpressive. Uh, to make the point, Paul draws from what would have been a really well-known cultural event, a triumphal procession. 
In those days when a Roman military leader won a major battle, he was uh, granted a public victory parade and uh, he would march through the streets of Rome, leading behind him his vanquished prisoners of war. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, that's all I really am. An unimpressive slave in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered my heart. And then Paul takes the, the image further, because apparently at those parades, incense was burnt along the route as part of the celebrations. And, and so, of course, if you were on the winning side, then that incense would have smelled great because it represented victory. But for the general's enemies, it would have represented defeat and, and death. It, it would have been an awful smell. Interesting, isn't it, how the one fragrance can produce two completely opposite reactions. A bit like a durian. <laughs> you know, to, you, to all you Southeast Asians, it's like, mm, 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 mm. you know what it is to the rest of us? <laughs> Point, of course, is that as he's led by Jesus, sharing the good news of, of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, people respond in one of two ways. They're either drawn to it or they reject it. And so in the end, they're either saved or condemned. Here, read with me from verse 14. Verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. So you see why Paul might not be all that impressive. His ministry certainly is, in fact, it is extraordinary. It essentially divides humanity into two parts, the saved and the condemned. Which now prompts him to ask the obvious question, who, who is equal to a task like that? In other words, Who's qualified? Who's, who's competent for such a massive responsibility? The false teachers? Well, no, no. Because though they look so impressive on the outside, on the inside, they're full of greed and self-interest. They're, they're nothing but theological used car salesmen peddling a faulty gospel for their own gain. Paul, on the other hand, has always conducted his ministry sincerely, seeking to serve others and God, not himself. And Christ has blessed that faithfulness. That's why Paul doesn't need to show these Corinthians any letters of recommendation to prove his credentials. They themselves are all the proof he needs. I mean, think about it. Before they met Paul, these people, they were pagan idol worshippers. Far from God. So some of them were leading sexually immoral lives. Others were thieves, others drunkards. But through Paul's ministry, they've come to submit their lives to Jesus. 
They have found forgiveness of sins through his blood and have had their lives completely transformed. Who can do that but God? And so that's why Paul can now say, each of you Corinthians is my living letter of recommendation. Letters not written by any mere human hand, but by Christ himself. Written with the ink of his life-giving spirit. You read with me from the last part of verse 16. Verse 16. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you and from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It's true, it's true. The Corinthians need only look at the profound impact Paul's ministry has had on their own lives to realise that God is with him. And of course, there is no higher recommendation than that. That's why Paul's convinced that he is fully competent to speak on behalf of God. Not because of any intrinsic qualities, his oratory skills or charisma or anything else, but simply because God makes him competent as he empowers him to share the gospel. Sure, the false teachers look and sound impressive, but the Corinthians should not be deceived. Their message is one that kills. Because obeying the old covenant laws can never take away sins. Keeping rules can't get them to heaven. But as Paul proclaims the new covenant message of grace and forgiveness through Christ, God's spirit brings eternal life to all who believe. And so it's in this that Paul finds or claims his competence. Here, read with me the last part of today's passage from chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And with that, we come to the end of today's uh, passage. What have we seen? What have we seen? Well, we've seen false teachers are there in Corinth and they're trying to discredit Paul. While they're outwardly impressive, Paul isn't, as his time in Troas proves. But Paul isn't phased. He knows that though he might be weak and unimpressive, Jesus is not. And it's Jesus who leads him, using him to spread the gospel wherever he goes, rejected by some, but accepted by others. Others like the Corinthians, whose changed lives are living proof that God is with Paul. That's why he's confident that he's competent to speak for God, because unlike the false teachers whose message brings death, 
God has given Paul a message that brings life. And so, friends, what do you think this passage has to say to us Christians here today? And in particular, what does it say to those of us who feel incompetent in the area of evangelism? To those of us who find it daunting? To those of us who get muddled and and tongue-tied? To those of us who, who think of the perfect thing to say two days after the conversation? Well, of course, in one sense, we're very different to Paul, aren't we? He was, after all, an apostle and an author of much of the New Testament. And we're not called by God to to do those things. But like Paul, we are called to share God's message of salvation with a lost world. And it's for that reason that this passage ought to be a great encouragement to us. And I reckon it all boils down to this simple truth. That ultimately, it's not about us. It's about the message. Friends, it's not about us. When it comes to sharing the gospel, our confidence shouldn't ultimately be in our own abilities. That's what the false teachers got wrong. They thought that because they were good speakers with lots of charisma, whom everyone applauded, that they had what it took to speak for God. But that wasn't true. Paul, on the other hand, was able to freely admit his weaknesses and limitations and be okay with that. And so can we. Because at the end of the day, though we might be weak and unimpressive, Jesus is not. And as with Paul, Jesus is the one leading us. The one who can work powerfully through us in spite of all our inadequacies. Kind of reminds me of the story of Moses in the Old Testament. Do you remember? Remember him? I stutter, Lord, he said. Send someone else. What did God say to him? Oh, come on, Moses. I believe in you. Come on, look within yourself. You've got what it takes. No, he said, don't worry, Moses. Why? Because I will be with you and I will teach you what to say. And friends, God will be with us too, guiding us as we bravely open our mouths to share about Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we can't work on our evangelistic skills. Now, that's something we can all grow in. We can all read books like, like this one by Sam Chan, which I, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. An excellent book. Um, one that will be available in three weeks' time at our Mission Fest if you want to purchase it. Re- really practical, really easy to understand. We can attend training sessions. We can study up on apologetics All of these things can help us feel more prepared so we're ready to give an answer to those who question our faith. But you know what? Even if you're only a baby Christian, you still know the essentials of the gospel. That God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So today, friend, I want to encourage you that you are competent, that you do have what it takes, because ultimately it's not about you. But it is about the message. So let's spend some time now thinking about the message. And there are, there are three things that I want to say to encourage you in your witness for Jesus. Firstly, that God has given us a message of real hope. Friends, the gospel, the gospel is a beautiful, wonderful message. And that is something that we should never, ever forget. In fact, it's something that was powerfully brought home to me this past week when there was a knock on my door at home. And I opened it to find two men dressed in suits. Good afternoon, one said. Do you ever feel like there is something terribly wrong with the world? He asked. Actually, I do, I said. <laughs> and would you like hope in the midst of all the despair? He asked. Well, as a matter of fact, I would. Then can I show you from the Bible the better future God offers, he asked. Sure can, <laughs> I replied. And then he went on to read from Revelation chapter 21, how in heaven God will wipe away all the tears from his people's eyes. There will be a time when there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Does this sound like a hope you want? He asked. Oh, you better believe it, I said. <laughs> well then, he continued, all you need to do is try as hard as you can to live a good life for Jehovah and then the hope of heaven is yours. Oh, I said. I have to work really hard for it, do I? Then can I ask you a personal question? Okay, he said. So I asked, are you sure you're going to heaven? I mean, are you, are you really sure? Are you confident that you're good enough? Well, no, he said. We can, we can never be sure. Hmm. And so, could it be then, I asked, that perhaps you're not working hard enough? Couldn't that be true? Well, he said. And so I went on, but, but you said that you were offering me hope in a world of despair. But what you're really telling me to do is to work as hard as I possibly can at being as good as I possibly can for Jehovah, but maybe even in the end, at the end, that won't be good enough. That doesn't sound like hope. It sounds like even more despair. It's hopeless. Blank look. <laughs> but then isn't it great, I said, that Jesus does offer us real hope. That on the cross he died as the perfect sacrifice for all our sins. 
and now offers forgiveness and the certainty of heaven to all who trust in him. Not as something we work for, but as something that he gives us as a free gift through grace. Now that's real hope, isn't it? Don't you agree? Well, thank you for your time today, sir. <laughs> and off they went. Friends, that sad encounter with that modern-day false teacher, those modern-day false teachers, it reminded me really powerfully that we do have this wonderful, extraordinary, hope-filled, life-giving message to offer the world. We might not have silver tongues, but who cares? The message more than makes up for that. It is a message of real hope. So be encouraged. Secondly, secondly, we should remember that it's a message that divides. And as we share the gospel with people, we, we spread the aroma of Christ. We become spiritual durian, okay? <laughs> There'll be some who are drawn to the message and some who'll turn away. Now, of course, we have to make sure that it's only ever the gospel people are repelled by and not our insensitive approach, you know, turn or burn, you filthy sinner. <laughs> we don't want to be like that. That's why I love Paul's example here. You know, the, the false teachers were on about themselves, but Paul, he just genuinely loved the Corinthians. And I think we should share the gospel with the same kind of sincere concern for others. But of course, even then, we have to realise that there are some who just won't believe. But that ultimately, it's not that they're rejecting us, but Jesus. And so we shouldn't be discouraged. Now, I remember some time back, a friend of mine was chatting with someone about Jesus, and it didn't go as she had hoped. When I spoke to her, she was like, well, never doing that again. I had to remind her that we can't control how people respond to the gospel. Our job is to just faithfully share it. To some, it'll be fragrant. To others, putrid. But that's not a sign of our incompetence. It's a sign that, at least for now, that person is choosing to reject Christ, just as many rejected him when he was on earth. The gospel is a message that divides. So expect it. And don't be discouraged. And third and finally, it's a message that changes lives. As we share the message of Christ with people, God's spirit will do his thing. And there will be lives transformed. Don't believe me? Then look around. Like, seriously, have a look around. Hey, turn your, it's got to be better than looking at me. Come on, turn your heads, turn around, have a look at who's here today. Look them in the eye, make it awkward. Come on. Who's here? Have a look at them. You see them? <laughs> you know, the vast majority of the people you see before you, friend, are testimony of the, to the power of the gospel. Friends, God has taken us hopeless, hell-bound sinners and rescued us by his grace. In his son, we have been forgiven, restored, 
and assured of a place in his heavenly home. And like the Corinthians, he has transformed our lives. Has he not? Just like them, some of us have a history of sexual immorality. Others, a history of addiction, greed, hatred and selfish pride. But friends, we were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, I know that we are still works in progress. But as I look around, do you know what I see? I see letters from Christ everywhere. His handwriting all around me. Friends, this is the impact that the gospel has had on us. And it's that same powerful gospel that's at work when we speak up for Jesus. So speak up for Jesus. And I can't help but think of one woman from our church, one ordinary, unassuming, faithful woman who's been doing just that. I won't say any names. But her dad was not at all interested in hearing about Jesus. To him, religion was a sign of weakness. And even though when he was, even when he was diagnosed with cancer, he just did not want to hear it. And so she prayed for him. And she stayed gentle and respectful. And as his health deteriorated, she went out of her way to love him and care for him. She should slip into conversation words of God's love for him. And she'd offer to pray and read the Bible with him. Finally, towards the end, he started to ask questions. And then just days before he passed, he miraculously turned to Christ for forgiveness. Last week, up in the back corner, I was chatting with this woman after church. And in her mix of sadness and joy, she said, Now I know it's true. If my father can be saved... Anyone can. And she's right, isn't she? Because ultimately, it's not about us, but about God's power to work through the gospel we share. So, friend, next time you have an opportunity to share about Jesus in the office tea room, the family gathering, over the fence with your neighbours, in the schoolyard, with the mum's group. And you get that niggling feeling of not being competent to speak up. Remember, it's not about you. It's about the message. So share it with confidence. And leave the results to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful gospel and for those who shared it with us. Please help us now to faithfully share it with a world 
that needs to hear. When we feel inadequate, help us to remember that you are more than adequate. Please give us confidence to spread the fragrance of Jesus wherever we go. And as we do, please draw many to salvation in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.